have been going through looking at the letter of 1 John. John wrote this letter to a local church with which he was very familiar and for which he was responsible for exercising pastoral oversight. Uh, he, he wrote it because, as we've talked about before, there was a group of false teachers, false prophets that had come in and, and, uh, or, or you know, infiltrated uh, the community and were leading people astray and taking followers after themselves. Uh, therefore, John wrote this letter to help the church know what the truth was, because these were people that had been among them, uh, and, and, you know, so it's like, hey, that's so-and-so, or that's my friend, that's, you know, so, um, uh, uh, you know, John's saying this, he goes, Here, here's how to sort things out, here's how to know what the truth is, and, and to be able to discern what's real from what's counterfeit. And this is our sixth week in this series, and today we're going to see, we're going to look at see how, how we know genuine love when we see it in the community of believers. How do we know that we're seeing genuine love? What does it look like in the community of believers? Now, when we began the series, we said that there were three recurring themes that keep coming up throughout the letter of 1 John. The one, the first one is the incarnation of Christ, that God became flesh in the person of Jesus Christ. Second one was our love for our brothers and sisters, especially those who are in need. And the third theme was the relationship between sin and those who are God's children and how we can really know that we are God's children. Today, we're going to be looking at the second theme, our love for our brothers and sisters in the community of faith. Remember, that's what he's talking about. Yes, we are called to love everyone, you know, from, from family to friends to enemies, whatever. We're called to love everyone, but he's specifically addressing those in the community of faith. That's what uh, to watch for as we read through today's passage. I want to read the passage, and then we'll pull some things out of it. 1 John chapter 3, starting in verse 11. For this is the message you heard from the beginning. We should love one another. Do not be like Cain, who belonged to the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own actions were evil and his brothers were righteous. Don't, do not be surprised, my brothers and sisters, if the world hates you. We know that we have passed from death to life because we love each other. Anyone who does not love remains in death. Anyone who hates a brother or sister is a murderer, and you know that no murderer has eternal life residing in him. This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. If anyone has material possessions and sees a brother or sister in need but has no pity on them, how can the love of God be in that person? Dear children... Let us not love with words or speech, but with actions and in truth. And this is how we know that we belong to the truth and how we set our hearts at rest in his presence. If our hearts condemn us, we know that God is greater than our hearts and he knows everything. Dear friends, if our hearts do not condemn us, we have confidence before God and receive from him anything we ask because we keep his commands and do what pleases him. And this is his command, to believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and to love one another as he commands us. 
The one who keeps God's commands lives in him and he in them. And this is how we know that he lives in us. We know it by the spirit he gave us. So as John returns to this theme of love for our brothers and sisters in Christ, he begins this passage once again referring to the message you heard from the beginning. Verse 11, he says, For this is the message you heard from the beginning. We should love one another. That's how John opens the letter, and now he reiterates it. He says, this is, how you've, this is what you've heard from the beginning. In other words, don't forget all of it. Don't forget this. It's, it's, it's a primary importance. It's still valid. I mean, sometimes we can be drawn to something that sounds new and sounds novel and intriguing and exciting, but we must never forget the primary message, the message that we heard from the beginning. It's, never, it's always important that we never stray from our roots in the gospel to, to, and go running after the latest new teaching, the latest new fad, the latest thing that's, that's popular. The message of love is at the very core of the gospel. It runs all through 1 John. It runs all through the, the message of the gospel. Now, two weeks ago, we said that love is a mark of genuine community. You know, and... and you know, Paul said in 1 Corinthians 13, he said, Now these three remain, faith, hope, and love. And then he says the greatest of these is love. Love is a central priority all throughout the scriptures, all throughout the gospel, and therefore it has to be a central priority throughout the community of believers. So if that love is central, then how do we know, when we, how do we know that we have real love? How do we know that, that that's really what we, how do we recognize it? You know, most of us are familiar with the Apostle Paul's description of love in 1 Corinthians 13. If not, then go ahead and go home when you, when you leave and read it. Uh, it's an excellent description of love that's not just for weddings, by the way. In fact, that's not the context, context it was written in, but we still use it for that because it's, it's, it's great. And then there's several places in the New Testament where you see genuine love in action, where, uh, such as the end of Acts chapter 2, where you see the church relating with each other and, and, and the love of God just being exercised there and put on display. And as we look at today's passage, John tells us, though, how to recognize the presence of genuine love in the community of believers Four things he says. The first thing he says is real love does not do any harm to its brothers or sisters. Doesn't do any harm to brothers and sisters. And this is the opposite of what we saw with Cain and his brother Abel. Right after John says we should love one another, he says, don't be like Cain, who belonged to the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own actions were evil. His brothers were righteous. He gives Cain as an example of the opposite of love. Cain hated his brother because he knew what he was doing was wrong. And Abel's, his brother's actions were righteous. So he hated him. And, and really, that's, what, that, that's the way the world is toward the Christian community. Anytime you follow God and live by what is righteous... Anytime you live by what God says, you're going to draw fire from those who are not following God. They're not going to agree with you. They're going to argue. They're going to persecute. They'll do something. Now, we don't really see persecution in this country at all. But I tell you something, it is happening all around the world. 
where, where Christians, believers, people coming to Christ are persecuted by their whole communities. You see, not only do light and dark not mix, but darkness hates light. So those who live in darkness and whose hearts are filled with darkness hate those who are in the light and who stand against the darkness. The fact that Abel's actions were righteous and Cain's were evil enraged Cain to the point where he killed his brother. I think we would all agree that's the opposite of the love that we're talking about here. If Cain loved his brother, he obviously would not have killed him. you know. And then John goes on and connects hatred with murder. No doubt because he heard Jesus make that same connection. In Matthew 5, Jesus said, You've heard that our ancestors were told you must not murder. If you commit murder, you're subject to judgment. But I say to you, if you're even angry with someone, you're subject to judgment. If you call, your, if you call someone an idiot, you are in danger of being brought before the court. And if you curse someone, you're in danger of the fires of hell. And that's pretty strong language. But it's because of the primary importance of love in our hearts. Hatred comes from an unregenerate heart and is filled with death. Love comes from a heart that has been transformed and is filled with life. It doesn't do any harm to its brother or sister. So after giving the example of Cain, the negative example, he gives a contrasting example of Jesus. And, and we see that in, in the example of Jesus, we see that the second thing, which is that real love sacrificially puts others first. Verse 16, this is how we know what love is. John just flat out says, this is how we know it when we see it. You know, look to Jesus, look to what he did, because Jesus is the epitome of love. And then he says, Jesus Christ laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. I mean, what a tremendous picture of the sacrificial nature of genuine, pure love. Jesus laid down his life for us. That's our example. Jesus didn't live for himself. He gave, himself, he gave his life for us. See, love doesn't think about itself first. It thinks about others first. In the days just prior to World War II, a young German theologian by the name of Dietrich Bonhoeffer, how many have heard me say that name at least a thousand times, one of my, one of my heroes in the faith for sure, uh, he was growing increasingly concerned about the looming threat of war. And when it became clear that war was inevitable, some of his friends convinced him to escape to the United States, where he spent some time here um, uh, at Union Theological Seminary and, and you know, making friends. And, but as time went on, Dietrich began to sense that his escape to safety was somewhat similar or akin to the prophet Jonah's attempt to run from God's call to go to Nineveh. He knew he had to go back to Germany and help his people as they resisted the Nazis. So that's what he did. He got on a ship, sailed back to his homeland of Germany, began working with German intelligence as a double agent to defeat the Nazis. Eventually was discovered, arrested, imprisoned, and then hanged. 
He left the comfort and safety of the United States to sacrifice his life in the resistance of, uh, in, in, in resisting the Nazis and their evil uh, uh, empire, whatever you want to call it, evil rule. He did it out of a love for Jesus, and he did it out of a love for the church. One of my favorite, all-time favorite Bonhoeffer quotes is, when Christ calls a man, he bids him come and die. See, when the love of Christ fills us, our focus is no longer me. Our focus is no longer what can I get out of this, but rather it's how can I serve and love on others. That's what real love does. It sacrificially puts others first. You see, immaturity asks, what can I get? What can, you know, what, what can someone do for me? Maturity asks and love asks, what can I give? How can I serve? You know, Bonhoeffer illustrated that when he put the welfare of his brothers and sisters in Christ and his countrymen above his own safety and above his own security. He could have stayed in the United States and been free and safe, and, but then he returned to Germany. And this brings us to the third way that we can recognize genuine love, and that is when it moves from talk to action. That's number three. Real love is compassion that's put to action. Verses 17 and 18, if anyone has material possessions and sees a brother or sister in need, but has no pity on them, how can the love of God be in that person? Dear children, let us not love with words or speech, but with actions and truth. You know, throughout this letter, John has a way of answering the question, but how do we really know? How do we really know this? What, how can we tell? In this case, how, we, how, do we re, how do we really know that the love of God is in us? And then he gives a very simple test. It's not how much you say you care about people. The proof's in the pudding. It's when our genuine feelings of compassion result in us actually doing something that matters. Now, that doesn't mean that it's your responsibility to meet every single need every time you see one. You know, none of us can do that. I've known people who felt it was their responsibility to personally met, meet every need they saw, and they felt guilty if they didn't. They wore themselves out trying to do that and used up all the resources and, and to the point where they weren't even able to take care of themselves or their families. That, that's not what we're talking about. That's a dysfunctional view there. But neither are we talking about closing our eyes and pretending we don't see the need in front of us, which we have the ability to do something about, just like the first two people that came across the man that was that was beaten and robbed and left for dead in the story of the Good Samaritan. Okay, they kind of, they walked along, they saw him there, they went to the other side of the road, whistling their way along, pretending they didn't see the need. It's 
one thing to talk about having compassion and loving and serving others. It's, one th- it's, it's another thing to talk, uh, for that talk to be translated into action. And that's one of the things, honestly, that I love about serving as pastor of this church. Because this church is not satisfied with just saying something, coming in on Sunday, worshiping, hearing a message, and going home and forgetting everything. This is a church that wants to do. You know, I, I, I'm still blown away. I wish I would have thought to put the, the, the photo I took of it, the whiteboard, um, uh, up on the, the screen, but I didn't. But our outreach team, when we met a while back to talk about how we can meet the needs of this community over this next year, you know, we got the whiteboard and we crammed it full of this community's needs and ways we could do. We, one side, these are the needs that we see in this community. These are things that we can do on this side to meet the need. And it was packed, way more than we could ever hope to even do. There's no more white left on the whiteboard. But then we prayed, where do we start? And rather than looking at it and saying, the need's overwhelming, I can't do anything, we said, okay, where's the first thing we're going to do? And then what is the next? And where do we go from here? And where are we going to start? And we developed a plan because this is a church that cares. And it's not just things that we plan as a church, but it's things that you do as an individual with no one watching. See, it's not just about functions of the church or programs of the church or things that we do corporately it's in your heart because i hear story after story of somebody that reached out and had compassion and met this need and had compassion and met this need that need see compassion isn't just when we have strong feelings about someone's situation it's when those feelings become translated into doing something translated into action Throughout the Gospels, you see Jesus not just feeling compassion, but being moved with compassion. Sometimes you read through the Gospels, look at the uh, uh, circle every time you see that Jesus moved with compassion, did something. Anytime you truly love someone, you weep when they weep and you rejoice when they rejoice, but then you go beyond that until you're moved to do something to help if that's within your power. Fourth way to recognize real love is it gives us confidence in prayer. Confidence in prayer. Starting in verse 20, if our hearts condemn us, we know that God is greater than our hearts and he knows everything. Dear friends, if our hearts do not condemn us, we've confidence before God and receive from him anything we ask because we keep his commands and do what pleases him. Let's talk about that. You know, sometimes we feel condemnation in our hearts, and the reason is we know that we're doing wrong. We know that what we're doing is not what we should be doing. And if that's the case, there's a real simple solution. It just calls for confession and repentance. In other words, coming into agreement with God says, God, I know this isn't right. I'm sorry forgive me, and then changing our ways. That's what repentance is. It's a changing of our mind, a changing of our ways. But other times, it's the accuser 
using our weaknesses and our shortcomings to throw accusations and condemnation at us. And when that's the case, we can rest assured that God, that w- w- with all confidence that God, who knows all things, knows what's really in our heart better than we know it ourselves. So when the enemy comes in and he's throwing accusations and he's throwing condemnation at you and you're standing before the Lord say, you know, okay, my life's not perfect, but, but God, I stand before you with a clear conscience. Then, then, you know, God knows our hearts. He knows what's in there. We can stand before him with confidence that he hears and will answer our prayer as we continue to do the things that he gives us to do. Remember the context of this passage. The most important thing he's given us to do is to love. To love our brothers. That's the context. But yet we become confused and we become confused about what real love is. We confuse love with a warm, fuzzy feeling that we might have towards someone. Or we confuse love with sexual attraction. Or we think that love never confronts wrong. And we equate it with always agreeing with someone. That's not what we see in Jesus. You know, our society tells us that love means if I love this person, I'm not going to ever disagree with them. And I must always embrace their opinions their actions, whatever they want to do, how they want to live. That's not love. Love speaks the truth. Not from a place of judgment, not from a place of condemnation, not from condescension, but it speaks the truth in a loving and caring and compassionate way without condemnation. Love sees where God wants to take someone. It recognizes God is inviting them into something. He's inviting them into spiritual, emotional, physical, relational health. And in humility and without judgment, Love is willing to sacrifice to help them answer that invitation and go to the place God has for them. Let's pray. Father, we love you. And we love your people. Help us to walk that out. Help us to keep your love as a priority above everything else. Above our own comfort and convenience and above our offenses that may come our way sometimes. Use us to love others. Use us to reach out and love both 
in the church community and those in the Bloomington community. Show us and lead us in how you want us to not only feel compassion in our hearts, but to translate that into loving action. Lord, may we be your hands and feet. And may we be your mouthpiece, speaking words of compassion and truth, always in a spirit of love. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. And let's stand for the benediction. May the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. May the eyes of your heart be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance and his holy people and his incomparably great power for us who believe. God bless you. Go and have a great week.